from coast to coast to coast, you're listening to Terra Informa. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Hannah Cunningham and I'll be your host for the next half hour of environmental news. I would like to begin this episode by acknowledging that Terra Informa is a production of CGSR 88.5 FM, a campus and community recording studio located in Edmonton, Alberta. We are situated on Treaty 6, the historic and present territory of Cree, Métis, Blackfoot, Dene, and many other First Peoples that live and gather here. While you listen to this week's episode, consider your connection to this land, the connection of those that came before you, and the connection of those that will come after. This week, we're bringing you more of the City of Edmonton Change for Climate talks. On October 3rd, Terrett Informers Elizabeth Dowdell and Sonic Patel attended that event. In this episode, we bring you talks by Shannon LeBlanc talking about the sharing economy, Andrew Bell talking about the adoption of electric vehicles, and Connie Stacy talking about green innovation. But before we get to all that, here are this week's headlines. recently released scorecard released by Efficiency Canada, the advocacy group scored the efficiency performances of each of the provinces. The group highlights the importance of efficiency in the energy system, claiming that efficiency improvements between 1990 and 2015 saved Canadians nearly $40 billion on energy and reduced greenhouse gas emissions by 100 megatons. Energy efficiency can be thought of as how much you can do with a certain amount of energy, like how many kilometers you can get on a full tank, or how much gas you need to heat your home. Energy efficiency programs can include things like net zero homes, transportation electrification, and building codes. Efficiency Canada ranked the provinces based on five categories. Energy efficiency programs, enabling policies, buildings, transportation, and industry. The report uses energy efficiency achievements and policies and compared them to best practices and best-in-class benchmarks. Provinces receive a score that reflects how they compare to these best standards. The province with the highest rank is British Columbia as the highest scoring province, receiving the most points in enabling policies, industry, and buildings. Quebec comes in second, scoring the best in transportation efficiency. Ontario falls just one point shy of Quebec to round out the top three. The lowest scoring provinces are Newfoundland and Labrador and Saskatchewan, both scoring less than 20 points out of a total of 100. Notably, even British Columbia, the highest scoring, only scores as 56 out of 100, leaving plenty of opportunities to further increase energy efficiency in Canada, meaning more cost savings and emission reductions are possible. The report offers a number of priority areas for improvement in each of the provinces that can guide policymakers. (music) 
On Friday, November 22nd, the group Indigenous Climate Action hosted a press conference where different Alberta groups called on the Federal Environment and Climate Minister to reject the proposal for the Tech Frontier Mine. The Tech Frontier Mine, if approved, would be the furthest north in the oil sands and would take up an area of 24,000 hectares and would be located just 25 kilometers south of Wood Buffalo National Park in Treaty 8 territory. The mine, if approved, is expected to have a 41-year lifespan. The Tech Frontier Mine Project is currently under joint federal-provincial review, and the Environment and Climate Change Minister, Jonathan Wilkinson, is expected to make a decision on the fate of the project by February 2020. The press conference was led by Indigenous Climate Action and featured speakers Batul Ghulam Hussein with Climate Justice Edmonton, Kyron OJ with Keepers of the Water, Bronwyn Tucker with Oil Change International, and Nigel Henry Robinson with the Beaver Hills Warriors. These speakers brought to light some of the many reasons that they felt that the tech frontier mine should be rejected. Concerns include disruption to wildlife migration routes and habitat for endangered animals such as the whooping crane, the short distance from the proposed mine to many Indigenous communities, and the close proximity of the project to Wood Buffalo National Park, which is a UNESCO heritage site. Another issue surrounding this proposed project is the fact that if the Tech Frontier Mine is approved, it will make it difficult for Canada to meet its climate commitments that were made at the Paris Climate Conference in 2015. At the Paris Climate Conference, Canada committed to reducing its greenhouse gas outputs by 30% down from 2005 levels by 2030, and to reduce them by 80% by 2050. According to an article by Sharon J. Riley in the Narwhal written in July of this year, this means that in order for Canada to stick to these commitments, the country would only be able to admit 150 megatons of emissions by 2050. If the Tech Frontier mine is built and goes into operation, it is expected to produce 4 megatons per year, which is equal to 3% of the emissions allowed for Canada in 2050. The press conference hosted by Indigenous Climate Action was recorded and is available to watch online. You can find a link to the recording on our website at terrainforma.ca. Our first Change for Climate talk is Shannon LeBlanc talking about the sharing economy and the Edmonton Tool Library. This initiative offers tools that people can rent to complete home improvement projects, saving the need to buy construction tools for just one-time use. The tool library exemplifies something called the sharing economy. The sharing economy is different from traditional consumption in that it's about being able to access goods instead of necessarily owning them. Things like car shares would also fall into the category of the sharing economy, where you pay a fee or membership to be able to use a car when you need to, rather than owning a car. A model of the sharing economy that you might be familiar with is a public library. Here's Shannon LeBlanc explaining why the sharing economy can help us address the climate crisis. Um, so I'm Shannon. Uh, five years ago, my husband and I renovated our condo. So we had been living in an apartment, and we really didn't have very many tools. We had the basics, hammers, screwdrivers, a drill, but we certainly didn't have a tile cutter. 
Um, we did what many people do. We borrowed what we could from family and friends. Uh, we rented tools when they didn't have what we needed. Our experience was with renting, though, was that it was very expensive and time-consuming. We'd get up on Saturday morning, we'd drive to the rental store, we'd pick out what you needed, we would go home, we'd do our work, we'd drive back to the rental store before they closed, and we'd pay per hour for how much time we had that tool. Sometimes it was more affordable to buy a new tool, so we did that too. And by the time we were done, we had a whole bunch of tools that we knew we would never use again, or not very often. So not long after this experience, we learned that in many cities around the world, there are tool libraries. Tool libraries are just like a book library, but for tools. They're run by community organizations. They offer tools at low or no cost through a membership fee model, usually. And they promote the use of tools amongst community members without you having to go and buy your own. So I had certainly never heard of this, but it made so much sense. If there had been a tool library in Edmonton when we were doing our condo renovation, we could have just gone to the tool library, took, taken out what we needed for a, a cheap membership fee, and returned it when we were done. And we wouldn't have had so many sad tools sitting forlornly on our storage room shelf at the end of it. So we started talking to friends about this and colleagues, and we learned that we were not the only ones with this experience. Um, and soon, there was a group of us who were determined that we were gonna start a tool library in Edmonton. So we talked to some other tool libraries in Canadian cities, yes, Edmonton was not the first, there were many, and learned from their experiences. And we launched a nonprofit organization. We ran an online fundraising campaign, and we even found a community league that was able to rent us some space. And then we started to ask for donations of tools. And they came in by the bucket. <laughs> and three years later, the tool library has over 800 tools in its inventory, active tools in its inventory. We have about 40 community leagues who regularly support us through a sponsorship agreement. And we complete about 15 to 20 loans per week to Edmontonians. Edmontonians, like Dan, who can build a feature wall without having to buy an air compressor. Or like these two who submitted photos via Facebook about how they had managed to get their garden in on time or finish an old set of stairs. And this all was done without having to go and buy more tools. The tool library is an example of something that is commonly known as the sharing economy. And the sharing economy is all about utility instead of asset ownership. So do you need a drill or do you need a hole in your I certainly didn't need a tile cutter, I needed a tub surround. So to me this made a lot of sense. And the cool thing about the sharing economy is that it also reduces waste. So by sharing things amongst your community, you don't need as many resources in the first place. And it's also a really flexible model. So it can happen between individuals, it can happen between organizations, it can be free, it can be for a fee. There's so many different ways to do it. And it's being accelerated by the online communities that we all live in through apps and websites. So another example, it's not just tools, is transportation. So some of you may recognize this. Um, we have a homegrown example right here in Edmonton of something called a car share. So this answers the question of do you really need to get a car or do you need to go from point A to point B efficiently and cost effectively? So this example is homegrown. You look for a car on an app walk, or maybe bike, or maybe scooter, to go get your car, you drive it, you use it, you drop it off. 
you pay per use, and the company covers the cost then of insurance and maintenance and parking. Yes, parking. Um, as well as your yes, thank you. Yes, yes. Heard it so many times tonight that I just didn't want to say yes. Um, so cars are just one example. There are bike shares. There are co-working spaces. There are private accommodation services online that you can access. So the sharing economy is growing. We have scooters in Edmonton now. Kind of cool, or maybe a little annoying, but kind of cool. <laughs> so it's growing. So a 2017 study from Statistics Canada found that about 9.5% of Canadians were already participating in the sharing economy. That's 2.7 million people accessing things like peer-to-peer -peer rideshare services um, and private rental accommodations. Another study out of the United States predicted that the um, global revenues in the sharing economy would grow about 22 times in 10 years, from about 15 billion in 2014 to about 335 billion by 2025. <laughs> in Edmonton, I have people that I know talking about starting a kitchen appliance library and a toy share for families. There are people hosting repair-a-thons and clothing swaps and skill shares. So things like those all reduce waste. They encourage sharing amongst community members. Things like the tool library and car share help give access to really expensive assets to people who might not otherwise be able to afford that. And they build community. We've seen so many examples of that tonight. Picture the community garden that borrowed our tools to actually build their planter beds. That brings people together, which is so important. So if you've already participated in some sort of reuse model, you are part of the sharing economy. And I would encourage you, if you haven't, to take a look around your community and see if there's a service or maybe a tool that inspires you. Um, it's an easy way to make a simple change and reduce your impact at the same time. So that's it. It's easy. <laughs> so thank you. Our next Change for Climate talk comes from Andrew Bell as he discusses electric vehicles. Andrew, back in 2008, was put onto electric cars after renting Who Killed the Electric Car from the public library. Andrew is currently the director of the Electric Vehicle Association of Alberta. Electric vehicles are an opportunity to decarbonize one of our highest emitting sectors, transportation. However, concerns like range, effectiveness of batteries in the cold, and cost remain challenges to the adoption of electric vehicles. Here's Andrew Bell talking about the potential of electric vehicles in Alberta. So with electric vehicles, um, our association, that's what we do, is we promote electric vehicle adoption in Alberta. And again, we did found a few years ago and uh, formed as a formal organization uh, about 12 months ago. Uh, there's four directors of us, and we're all based here in Edmonton, and we just had uh, two major uh, public displays of uh, locally owned vehicles in Calgary and in Edmonton. We were uh, showcasing electric vehicles in West Edmonton Mall last weekend to thousands of people, so that was quite an interesting venture. So with myself, admittedly, I'm actually not a car guy at all. Um, my interest in the environment has been around for over 25 years. I had the great fortune to uh, grow in, up in Victoria, British Columbia, and um, I worked at a scuba diving store when I was in junior high and high school, 
and was diving every other weekend. So I had many adventures uh, throughout northwestern Canada and around various parts of the world. I lived in uh, England for over 12 years where I was a manager of an underwater photography firm and did some commercial work. These are some of my commercial uh, projects I've done over the years and uh, even met my future wife on a scuba diving boat in the Great Barrier Reef. So that was, uh, or diving always worked out for me. Then was the fateful day that um, I stumbled upon a YouTube trailer called Who Killed the Electric Car? And I'm like, seriously, there's electric cars? Why don't we know about this? Why don't I never know about this? And how do I skip to see this movie? And I thought, what if my public, local public library has it? So I went down to my city of Edmonton public library, and do you have a copy? And the librarian went and got the copy, and she said to me, this is gonna be the most important movie you ever see. Please watch it. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never had a disclaimer like that before from a librarian. I was gonna watch this movie. And my life had completely taken a different direction after that. Um, so yeah, so these are two conversions that I did way back in 2010. This is before Tesla Model S. The Tesla Roadster is just starting to come out. Uh, so very early days. Um, and my interest in electric cars and what we found from that movie particularly is the GHGs from public you know, transportation, you know, with our own private vehicles. In Canada, we're about 28, you know, percent. Um, individually, in the household, vehicles make up over 50% of greenhouse uh, emissions. Um, and that's a significant chunk that we should be looking at to see if we can make better choices to come to that attention. There was a study done a few years ago um, that looked actually the economic costs of the pollution that we're pumping into our province. And societies like the Lung Association, the Asthma Society of Canada, pegged it that's costing over the Alberta healthcare system over $300 million a year. Okay. So with car, gas car lifetime uh, emissions, 75% is coming out of the tailpipe. 19% is fuel extraction and refining. Raw materials is about 4%, and the fact manufacturing assembly uh, is only 2%. When we compare the efficiency of electric cars to gas, there's no comparison. The EVs are way more efficient, and by that, there's an economic interest with the amount of money you're gonna save. On average, you can save over $2,000 a year. It's like paying 20 cents a liter equivalent. You know, we do get this pushback question quite a bit, you know, how, you know, your car is just a coal car, how green is that? Fair enough a question, but I think this is a little more accurate. we got to look at the whole picture. Um, so with the, but what is the greenhouse, you know, gas emission footprint in Alberta? Well, our society, our association has actually looked at this and we came up with an online tool that measures real-time uh, energy feeds going into our electrical grid and can compare that to uh, gas car. So we've done that and these are drop down menus that people could compare an electric car to gas car right here in Alberta and um, got a huge response to it. So in the last week we actually did it for all the provinces in Canada. So now with oil, you know, oil you have choices. Um, we can either burn it and once we burn it it's gone forever. We can just have that economic interest sailing through our tailpipes, or we can keep that oil and use it for invaluable products that we need as a society. The thing is, when we make things out of, that we, are tangible, we can hold with our hands, ultimately at the end of that's life, we can recycle it. Once you burn it, it's gone forever. 
Battery capacity during winter. Um, what we're finding with time and experience is that our range goes down roughly about 20% in the winter because it uses energy to keep the batteries warm because we want to protect those batteries. So the question is that we often ask ourselves, where can we possibly find an opportunity to charge our electric cars? Where or where could it be? <laughs> um, well, people in Alberta have been doing it for over 10 years, folks. You know, we've got a gentleman here down in uh, Calgary that's been charging his Tesla Roadster for over 10 years. And we actually looked at how much does it cost uh, for, instead of your money leaving your bank account to pay for gas, how much would it be to pay off the bank loan for your PV system? It's less than five years. What's really exciting in the last uh, year is we've had significant ramp up production, um, EV adoption for uh, chargers in Alberta. Uh, we've got the Peaks to Prairies project, which has been a joint effort between municipalities in southern Alberta and the former uh, Alberta government, to which we're going to have over 20 fast charger stations uh, to promote tourism, promote the local economy down there, so the funds stay in Alberta. And you may have noticed on TV in the last week or two, uh, Petrocan, they're promoting their national electric highway. Um, so this is really exciting and uh, Alberta's getting up right here too. With Edmonton, Edmonton we reckon there's probably over a thousand EVs. Uh, word on the street is Tesla's over selling over a hundred a month. So we know we've blown over a thousand by now. And really, really excited about this development that the city of Edmonton is taking the lead charge on is electric buses. This is a huge, huge step forward. Um, can't love this enough. Um, works year-round. They're really wise on doing their uh, field testing in the winter to throw the worst conditions possible out of it. Buses are fine. So really look forward to seeing these uh, buses uh, on the streets. Uh, right close to us, we've got lots of uh, charger stations, public charger stations. Like to see more of them to boost uh, public confidence in them. And um, yeah, future's bright. Let's do this. Now, our final change for climate talk for the episode comes from Connie Stacy as she discusses innovation in the face of the climate crisis. Connie Stacy is the CEO of Growing Greener Innovations, the developer of Grengen products, which include rechargeable electric generators that are capable of being charged by multiple inputs, be it solar, hydro, or kinetic. The green economy, or products and services that are low impact and efficient, is rapidly growing and presents a substantial economic opportunity. Here's Connie Stacy talking about her experience as an innovator in the green economy. Um, so I'm here to talk a little bit about the role of entrepreneurship in climate change. Uh, but to get started, we kind of need to talk and bust a couple of myths. Uh, so as was mentioned, I have uh, the pleasure of, of running a small uh, clean energy business here in Edmonton. Uh, and I'm going to bust a couple of those myths and hopefully recruit some people to become entrepreneurs in this climate change fight. So first off, profit is not a bad word. Uh, in fact, we actually really need businesses to participate in creating more sustainable businesses because that driving economic force will help make the whole thing sustainable. We're still gonna have a, uh, an economy to take care of and making uh, climate change part of that economy is part of the solution. So it is not child labor, okay? <laughs> Two, it's not rocket science. At least not always. So sometimes we think we can't get involved in 
running a sustainable business because my gosh, the stuff they do is just incredible. Like, oh my gosh, the science. Um, and that is true some of the time. But a lot of times, what we really need is people who can help make our lives easier in a sustainable way. So that can be reduce. Remember reduce, reuse, recycle? Uh, a lot of it is about just doing things smarter. So don't feel like you can't get involved because my gosh, the science. So now I'm going to tell a little bit about my story. No, this isn't child labor again, just saying. Um, I happen to be uh, the proud mother of three wonderful children. And this is a picture of my twin boys about six years ago. Um, and I was in the midst of the absolute sleep deprivation uh, that is multiples. Uh, when one day I was walking the boys and they were sleeping in the stroller. And I walked by a house being built. And they had a diesel generator running. And I thought, if you wake these babies, I'm going postal. Uh, and that is really, really what went through my mind. And, and they slept for a long time that day. And I kept walking and I thought, why do we use these things? They're terrible. They're terrible on the environment. They're loud. They're expensive. They're smelly. Nobody likes using them. So why do we use them? Why not use some kind of battery system? So I talked to a couple of my friends in the trades, and I said, would you use a battery system? And they said, you know what? I would love to, simply for the silence, just to have quiet. But you can't refill a battery like you can a gas can. So what happens at 2 o'clock when the battery's out? I go home? Oh, geez, that's a pretty legit problem. So I thought on that for a bit, and I came back and I said, well, what if you could take that battery and you could just stack them up or swap them in and out? Done. It didn't matter that it was less expensive to use. The fact that it's environmentally friendly came second. They just wanted the silence. I thought, ooh, there's something in this. So I spent the last six years building business where we called, built something we called the Grunge Power System. And it is, on the small end, a potential solution for energy poverty. Small units that are portable, plug and play, you do not even have to be literate to use our system, and they're scalable because our energy needs go up. And if you're not already aware, economic growth is directly correlated to access to energy, so it's a really big deal. On the big end of the things, uh, on the big energy use, we do industrial systems that have an energy impact that isn't measured in grams of carbon dioxide reduction, it's measured in gigatons. That's how big an impact it can have. So this was a, a big system in the making, and yes, I actually did go to rocket science group. Um, but it was simply started with a problem that I thought, there's a way that we can solve this problem that is also environmentally friendly. So, if you have ever had that idea of, you know, this could be a business, I could do something, then this is, this is what I would recommend. First, you have to identify the problem. You have to have a customer who has a problem. If you don't have a customer who has a problem, you do not have a business. Don't start one. You'll go bankrupt really fast. Or really slow, it's painful. <laughs> um, two, you have to decide, can you solve it profitably? If you can, then you have a business. And third, and most importantly, climate change is happening now. So start, don't wait, start. So I have both good news and bad news. There's no climate superhero. There's no one technology or one person who's coming to solve this problem. But 
The good news is we have an army of everyday superheroes who can solve this problem. So please get started. Thank you. That's all the time we have for this week. Thanks for listening as we bring you more of the Change for Climate talks. Thank you to our volunteers, Sonic Patel, Andy De Silva, and Charlotte Thomason for creating this week's episode. Terra Informa is entirely volunteer run, and we survive because of generous donations to our host studio, CGSR 88.5 FM. Consider a donation to your local radio station to keep stories like this on the air. I've been your host, Hannah Cunningham. Thank you for tuning in. Catch us next week right here on Terra Informa.